I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo, and we have we have just Eddie. It's Teddy Sauer. Needed to France. Eric Murray. It's Mahi Drysdale. It is Sir Matthew Vincent. Thank you for being here. I'm Alex Del Sordo, the Rose Choice, and uh, we're season five, episode three of the podcast, and uh, it's different. We're doing it different this year. Uh, this season, we're focused on the entrepreneur, the business owner, but. The tie-in is that they are rowers, were once rowers, hope they were still a rower today. Um, and I think this interview could very well break the internet. Um, it's because I know everything about this guy. I looked up to this guy. I still do. Um, I, I, When Finish Line turned 10 years, he was one of the first people I called. And I said, you got to come up. And you know what? This son of a gun came up. We rowed together for I think a decade. I said, by the way, that was that was an epic party. That, that was, was an epic party. That was a great we're gonna, we're, yeah, I love, I love this guy, this guy embodies the rower. Um, he has a hell of a story. We got, we're gonna be telling stories this entire time, but he started a business um, that has become very successful. And we're gonna get into that. And the company's called Open Water, but I'm with Tim Spell. This guy is a Philadelphia native. Uh, currently living in Sarasota, Florida, because that's what that's what successful people do. They get out of the cold weather and they live in Florida. But Tim, thank you so much for doing this, man. I can't wait for this interview. Dude, it's great to see you. It really is. You you look awesome. You look fit. You look fit. You know, listen, you gotta you know once a, you know you gotta keep you gotta keep it up. I, listen, you never know when you're coming out of Roman retirement. You gotta be ready. If that is not the story of Tim Spell, we're going to talk a lot about that, the, the epic retirement packages that you always have. But um, before I get into my first question, I do want to know, are you in the cardio phase of your workouts or are you in the heavy lifting? Because I saw why you. Don't, why don't you take a guess? Well, the heavy lift? I got to think the heavy I, lift. I have to. Dude, I love it. So yeah, the, the whole lifting thing. So high school, I was, you know, six two, six three. I mean, my senior year, I was 155 pounds, right? So I'm just like straight, right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I didn't really discover lifting until Potomac Boat Club era, right? So that, you know, was until I was my my late 20s. And, uh, oh man, I forget this guy's name. He broke all the records on the Concept 2 machine. Uh, he was some Australian Olympian. Um, Sam Watt? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So he released this one like ebook and it was like Max Watts. Right. And like how he did it. Great name. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> more Watts or something like that. Yeah. And uh, when I'm reading this, you know, at the time my ERC score, you know, my ERC scores were always like, you know, okay. But like they, they weren't like, you know, I wasn't blowing people out of the water on the ERC, yeah. but my technique was good. So, you know, I was like, well, clearly I just need to get stronger. And, and so I read his training protocol and he really, what he was doing, this was past his Olympic phase. Mm -hmm. He was, he was powerlifting majority of the time and then just kind of sprinkling in some, some like erg, like short stuff. Like it wasn't doing anything wrong. So I was like, listen, I, I I'm like, I'm just going to follow this. And like, and so I hired a powerlifting trainer in uh, McLean, Virginia, really good oh, uh, strength and conditioning gym. And I got, I got jacked. Right. So I was like. It took me, it took me a while. It took me about three years, but like I was deadlifting like 500, you know, squatting. I, you know, my squat was the weakest, but I almost hit 400, you know, benching 300. So I got strong, but here's the thing. Like I started to love it. 
Like, I was like, oh, yeah, three reps. I like that. <laughs> like, I don't have to sit on the yard for an hour. That sounds great. So, you know, yeah, I'm still lifting. But, you know, I'm still pulling stuff in. You know, I'm doing jujitsu. So that, and that's pretty good cardio. Um, well, I mean, you're, you're what, 41 now? 40, 41? 39. 39? That can't be right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm still I'm still young, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> All right, well, look, you you got me off topic. I always start the same goddamn way. I say, how old were you and where were you when you took your first rowing stroke? So let's get back wow. to the beginning. Yeah, how old all right. Were you? So that was uh, high school, St. Joe's Prep. Yeah. Um, I was a freshman. So, um, you know, I just walked onto the team. I wasn't particular athletic back in the day, but, like, we had these family relatives, the Carlsons, mm-hmm. um, who – you know, they all went to Princeton. They all wrote, they all wrote at the prep. They all wrote at Princeton. And and my my thought process was, well, that's just how you get into college, right? You just row, right? And so, yeah, I mean, I remember the first day. Well, first we did the tanks at University of Pennsylvania, right? Learning learning the stroke there. But I remember my first day, like on an actual boat, like no one knows what they're doing, right? The coxswain's clueless, everyone's clueless, and you know, we're we're, we're launching out a boathouse row. And, uh, you know, they're like stern for a row and like, you know, two seat starts rowing. Right. You know, <laughs> but, you know, we almost went over the falls. We were like this close to having to hang on the ropes. Uh, and a lot of people quit after that. And I think that was the name of the game. Like there were 120 kids who were on the freshman team. Christ. At St. Joe's, about 120 who, who started. What year, what year was this? Uh, was this uh, 98, 99? What year was this? Yeah, I, I think it was 99. Yeah. So you graduated GW was, in seven. 2006. Yeah. Yeah, so that's right. So so you guys, so prep, I mean, I've interviewed so many people from the prep over the years. That era, like, you guys were the best, dude. Like, the best. You're coming off, like, Henley trips. It, it, it must have been the most popular sport in the school. It had to be. You'd be surprised. Like, football was still, like, the thing that everyone cheered about. Really, growing was just kind of like oh, it, it was kind of like just understood that we were going to be winning. So who like, was your coach? Who was your frosh coach that year? Do you remember? Frosh coach. The head coach was uh, Chuck Crawford, who went on to University of Delaware. Great coach, really, oh, yeah. really good coach. Um, I forget who individually coached all the. I mean, there were like eight freshman boats, so I, I forget who was who was actually. Now, how coach. about how about your time there? So like ninety eight, oh two, you know, ninety nine, oh three, oh three, oh two, oh three. Um, did you ever make the varsity eight? Did you ever make the top boat? Mm-mm. No, never. never. How, no. That, how did that sink with you? How did, how did that feel? Um, I mean, listen, I was very, I was, I was not a strong kid back then. So like, <laughs> you know, my philosophy at that point was, and I think this is kind of what stuck with me. You know, we'll get to business probably towards the end, but like, sure. I, I just refused to quit. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm just not going to quit. Right. And uh, I just kept getting better and better. You know, I started really at the bottom. Right. And but the summer after my freshman year, I bought an erg. My parents bought me an erg. Right. And I just did 20 minutes every night in my basement. You know, so I went from being like one of the worst on the team to suddenly like I I wasn't at the top, but like I was I was competitive. Right. Mm -hmm. So it was really just clocking those miles in the offseason that that got me actually, you know, respectable. But yeah, I mean. I was by by my senior year. I was on. I was right on the fringe of being good enough for the for the V eight. Um, 
but you know, we had a pretty fast uh, second eight, and you know, I, I rode in the varsity four. We had some great races. So, um, you did know, you ever I walk away with a uh, a Stokes Berry medal? Did you ever? Did you ever pull one of those out? One Stokes. <laughs> uh, so actually, it was interesting. It was like it was the lightweight eight back yeah. in yeah back in like oh man, what was that? It was like my junior year. So I was still able, like I'm six two, but I'm still a real lightweight. <laughs> <laughs> so all right but then now, now you're i know where your story goes from here so um gw i mean at the time really not a great program right uh so what ecacs you know not really middle of the road what brought you to dc like what made you choose that that school yeah that's a good question i'm kind of like looking back there like i i, I always like dc i had relatives in dc and if you ever take a tour of the GW campus, man, they they sell well. Oh, right. Yeah, they do. First off, it's a great school, right? There's there's no doubt about that. Um, yeah, I just thought there was a lot of energy in this in the city, and um, I had a unique situation where I was getting scholarship offers from like a bunch of schools, like Delaware, Delaware, uh, St. Joe's University, and Drexel were recruiting me, and mm-hmm. but I had to kind of go out of my way for GW. And, you know, the head coach at the time, his name was Gene Kninemuth. I'll never forget it. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, he's he's recruiting me. And suddenly he just ghosts. Like, he's gone. Like, I can't get a hold of him. I don't know what's going on. And, you know, I got into the school. But at the time, GW was the most expensive school in the world. Yeah. And my parents were like, congratulations, uh, but you're not going. <laughs> like, we can't afford it. Like, you know, sorry. Um and so I was disappointed, but I was like, well, let's just wait and see what, you know, if we get a kind of like aid package or something like that. Like, let's see what, let's see what they offer us. And I guess I slipped through the cracks. Like, finally, we, we talk, talked to the financial department and I was on financial athletic hold. That's what my application was. But okay. I got a release. This gave me all this grant money, tons of grant money that I didn't have to row for. I had no commitment to the rowing team, but I got all this free money to go. So I was like, yeah, I'm going. So it was actually cheaper for me to go to GW than like St. Jude's University or, or something like that. Wow. All right. So you get in there. Um, I meet you two years later. So your first two years. Three years What later. a good show, man. I mean, like the program was just not great. So like. We had a decent coach my freshman year. Um, oh, man. He was a prep guy. Uh, Jim, Jim O'Connor. Jim, oh, yeah. That, oh. Yes, great guy. Yeah. So <laughs> he worked us and he he and you know it was this, he he took the prep program and he brought it to, to GDW and out of the gate we were fast. Like mm-hmm. we were we were as fast as the varsity eight, our freshman boat. I mean, it was pretty incredible. But you know, we kind of slowed down throughout the year. I mean, we still had a decently successful season, but like, <clears throat> you know, here's here's the problem. None of us were on scholarship because that guy, that head coach screwed everything up. So almost the entire team quit after the freshman year, including me. Yeah. Who are, so who stuck with you? Um, Steve didn't, or Steve came in, right? So after the freshman year, the only guys to come back was this guy, Mac after. And I think that was it, right? One dude came back. Um, And then, you know, I went on to just, you know, be degenerate for two years. Um, And then senior year, I was training for a marathon and uh, I got in good enough shape where I was like, yeah, let's, let me, uh, you know, there's a coaching challenge turnover and the, the girls were always like, Tim, you got to come back. It's Greg Meyer. Greg Meyer comes Greg in. Greg Meyer. Yeah. 
I tried All to negotiate right, with him. I was like, hey, I'll come back, but like, I don't really want to do winter workouts. He's like, you'll be doing winter workouts. It's like, ah. Dude, all right. I, dude, there's so many stories about this. Do you remember? Because you came in like November of your senior year, because you didn't row in the fall. I think that you came I, in. I think I started in, you know, like late. Uh, you know, I don't yeah, know. it was late. It was like, because I, I really didn't know you, right? Like, like I really got to know you like that, like at that, that fall. Um, and you and those guys fucking bring me under your wing. Cause I was a new guy. Like I, I was a transfer in and I wasn't getting along with any of the other dudes like Joe DeLeo, of course, Good you know, my high school yeah. fucking buddy and Matt Brady. Um, but do you remember that erg workout in the snow? Like we did an hour of power and we were all lined up. Uh, yeah. You remember this, right. And Greg Meyer threw the chairs through the stairs and he chucked it. Cause we were all just dirt fucking slow. Remember this? Vaguely. <laughs> you blocked it out. I still remember like it was yesterday. I remember thinking to myself, what did I get myself into? It was a terrible team back then. I don't even know why you went back. Uh, you know, listen, I think, well, I think a lot of rowers go through this eventually, but like, you know, or just athletes in general, like when you're used to competing hard for so many years and, and then you stop competing, you start kind of wandering around. Right. And so rowing has always kind of been an anchor in my life, something I can come back to and, 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 you know, use my energy on. Right. So, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, when you're waking up at 5 a.m., it sucks. Right. But, you know, I was like, what else am I like sit around, drink? Nah, I don't think so. Well, you were doing that. You were still doing that. You I were just, still doing that. Might as well, you know, have some fun. Yeah. Now, but, all right, so we had a great, we had, I mean, by the end though, like, you know, we had that great, we had a great four. Well, let's talk about that four. Yeah. That four. So this is the open four at IRA. It was, uh, Christ, Eric Bergman, you, me, and who was the other guy in that boat? Uh, I forget his name, but he, he was, um, he had good technique. Not Georgie Popstafanov, was no, it? No, no, no. He was, he was a year above you. Um, for his oh. name, it used to be Stroke. Um, ah, it's I, can't remember. I, I like I, I hurt myself, but do you remember making the grand final in the Open Four? Like, we made it, the grand final. It was a great race. I mean, dude, well, shot off the line, right? The key is, can you settle? Right, you know, because I'll just keep going at a forty <laughs> or whatever. But well, how much? Did, how much of that race do you remember? Because it that I remember race, every single stroke. Okay, now that was the single most defining moment of my rowing career. I can tell you that right now. That race, that race, really, that race changed how I saw rowing forever. How so? so yeah, well, you, we were in lane two, or lane one, lane one or lane two. We were closest to the shore. Um, and I remember Meyer just like completely dismissing us, being like, good luck, yeah. right? And you grabbed us and said, we're going to do this. Like, we're going to do it. We're going we're gonna to get this, guys. And you were just in my ear, super motivating. And like, I like I loved you for this. You were just so motivating. Like, Del Sordo, it's you and me against the world. Let's just, let's just gut it. We shut off that line and we were in first place. We we're in first place. We we're winning. Yeah. We had open water at point. We, yes, we did. But then I caught a crab. I caught a boat stopping crab. I oh, caught that was crab. the finals. The finals. That was the yeah. final. Oh. It was devastating. And we went from first to last instantly. And then I was crying inside. I just, I was, I, I hated myself. And it was the first race in years that my parents actually showed up to. Like, cause they never, they never came to my races and crossed the line. And you just, you just, you just touched me and you're like, let it go. Don't worry about it. It's done. 
And it like it, I never at that point I took rowing incredibly serious. Like it was like, I am never letting that fucking happen again. And I'm gonna make this thing like this is all I want to do for the rest of my life. Really? It was wow. that race, it was that race. And you made it like I mean, I get emotional. Like you made me be okay with that moment. And it was you the know, first time you had ever been we, in the final we, we took we we put it all out there, right? And that's what Meyer said, right? I mean, we put it all out there. We <laughs> we were in the red zone. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so. And it was it was a hodgepodge of guys. I mean, we had a freshman in that boat. Remember, we had uh, yeah. well, Eric Burton was a freshman because we had yeah. to have who the hell was in that boat with us? Mike Hall or Mike Mike something? Oh, that's right. Um, yeah. Mike, if he's listening, I'm so sorry. I can't think of your goddamn last name. You're right. That was it. That was the lineup. Yeah, like scrappy dude. Dude, that boot was perfectly set. Just cruising. Yes, we were yeah. in a, a, a 2000. We were in a 2002 Vespoli four. Like I, I was just, yeah. I remember it. <laughs> I'm telling you, it was like one of the most defining moments of my career. Um, all right, so what happens after you graduate? Where do you go? What do you do? So yeah, I was in DC for a while, uh, for for like two years. I'd stopped rowing. I was just kind of like you know, working out a little bit. Uh, I was seeing this one girl, and it went south. So. Like she went down to like Duke for grad school. And so now I'm there like in DC. I'm like, what the hell am I doing here? My, and one of the guys who rejoined the team, Steve Shanks, right? He was one of my, really? still is one of my, one of my best friends. He would, he moved out to San Diego and he's like, dude, come on out, visit. So I came out there. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm moving out here. So yeah, I did a, did a, like three years in San Diego, had a great time. But during that time I was building my company and all my clients were, in DC, I work with like nonprofits and associations, mostly associations. Well, let's, so let's talk about that really quick. Let's let's yeah. let's talk about the start of that business. So, um, you didn't go to school to start a business, right? And at what point did that entrepreneurial bug hit you that you wanted to be a leader? Um, you know, I think like I studied computer science because you know it it always interested me, video games and computers and all that from an early age, but. I just kind of saw it as the future, but um, when did it really click? Well, Steve Shanks was entrepreneurial. Like his his grandparents were one of the first, uh, they owned a lot of the Weight Watchers franchises in New York. So he, you know, he was exposing me to it. My freshman year roommate failed out to, of three colleges, um, but he, he knew he didn't need to go to college. I mean, he wound up selling his esports company, you know, 10 years later for like 80 million euro or something like that. So like I was kind of watching these people around me be successful with kind of like alternative paths. And, you know, I want to read in this book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I don't know if you've ever read that one. Oh yeah, of course. And, you know, it just kind of, been, that was like the first business book I think I'd ever read, right? It was right after college. And it just kind of like, you know, you get the bug in your head of like, oh, I must start a company. Like it's, you know, because really, I mean, like it's the only really way to become wealthy. Unless you're going to save your way. So, That's yeah, right. so I, I was like, I, I put the same, you know, focus on rowing as I did in the business. And my my thought process is, was, I'm not quitting. I don't care what happens. I'll live in my parents' basement if I need to. Which was actually reassuring. So I was like, well, if I'm homeless, I always have a, a catch. <laughs> and the you know, early a lot, day, a lot of people have that, you know, like, be, be very fortunate. Uh, you and I both have very supporting parents like especially our fathers and you know my, my mothers but um knowing 
with finish line, knowing that I could just take my brand new wife with a brand new baby and go live with my, my, my in-laws made everything just like, I it, lets you take, it lets you take some, take some risks. Right. Yeah. And yeah. especially in your, you know, you should be taking risks all the time, but like, you know, especially, you know, I have no kid, no attachments. Mm -hmm. I have no money. Right. I have nothing else to do. Like I might as well try. So what was the, so for the audience here listening and like, what was the business? what did you start? The first company, well, I had a couple of like uh, failed ventures initially, but the first one that got traction was just a custom like software development company. And we were also doing like web design, things like that. There was a computer science classmate at GW uh, named Kunal. He was the top student in the class. We wound up connecting and, uh, you know, we, we teamed up as business partners. So yeah, we're just hustling in the beginning. Like I think back in the day we were looking at like Craigslist computer gigs <laughs> and we were just bidding on like whatever we could. Yeah. Um, so really just taking scraps, but you know, you, you eventually, you know, crack referrals and things like that. You know, we cracked a few clients. So that was our first thing. And then it turned into web design. I got us number one at Google. It just so happened being in DC, like you get a lot of nonprofits. So the first business I had was called nonprofit CMS. I got us ranked number one at Google for nonprofit web design. And then we started getting tons of leads through that. And that eventually is what led me down the path of the software that we built. Yeah, this is, it's a, it's quite a story. And um, I, I looked at it in admiration because you started this in, I want to say, 09 or 2010. 2007. 2007, you launched it, right. Okay. So 2007, you launched your business. Um, you and I don't actually stay in touch a whole lot until you moved back to DC in like 2009 and 10, right? Yeah, that was, yeah, that was great, right? So I moved back because we're getting all these leads from the web, from the S, from, you know, being number one at Google and they're all in DC. So I got to go back. <laughs> and um, yeah, really quickly, I think we hung out like the first week and I'm back. Well, no, I, so do you remember this? So you texted me and we threw a party for you. No, I didn't throw, but you threw a party for your welcome back. Me, Tim Conroy and you hanging out on the rooftop Megan Lynch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, it was, it was awesome. Like, oh, the boys are back, baby. Yeah. The boys are back. Like, yeah. And you're like, you're like, you're like, dude, I'm like, are you, you're like, yo, you should just come to Potomac. Like, just, I'm like, dude, I haven't rode, I haven't touched an oar, I haven't done cardio in like three years. He's like, just show up. That's right. I did. And the guy put me in a boat the first day. Right, two yeah, by three minutes on the water. I'm like, oh. <laughs> well, Nick Holland, Nick Holland was hanging around. You know, like we had such a crew. Like it was such a good crew um, at that time. That time frame. So like, how I had this conversation uh, with actually Joe Yato, who was with us at that yeah. in that era. Is that how important was Potomac to the, the growth of your business? Man, I can't. Let's, tell let's you. talk about that. That club is you know moving to Sarasota. There, there is no Potomac. Right. And it's like a void. It feels like a void in my life. Wow. It was so important. I mean, like, you know, you have a group of people who are committed to a goal, right? I wake up every morning, most mornings, right? Drag <laughs> <laughs> yeah. my ass down to Potomac Boat Club, 5.15 in the morning, right? You know, you get a workout, right? You know, you're off the water by seven, everyone goes to work. Right. Yeah. And then we have all these races every like two months or so. So you, you got these continual goals, but it was structured. Right. And, um, you know, made great friends, great social network. You know, I married my wife at the club. Yeah. 
yeah i mean i i definitely it's a very unique club um makes me want to get like a townhouse or something and you know i, I mean you kind of i mean you have the funds dude you should do it uh we need you back here um but i so one thing that yato said and pointed out and i agreed is we were around people that were better than us all the time in business in rowing and in, and in, in the the level of detail the attention of detail that you had to have the focus i've never experienced that ever again in my life there has never been another yeah. three mm -hmm. or four year chunk that even comes close to that did you notice a growth in your business at that in that era of like when you were oh man that was when we were on like a rocket ship yeah i mean that was our highest growth period i mean I forget the exact years. We launched our product, our SaaS product in 2012. So I think I was rowing at that point. You were. Uh, yeah. Well, that's that's the that's the Henley trip. You know, that was Henley, yeah. Henley training 2012. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, I was just focused. Right. And I think just the discipline of of getting up and doing something hard before everyone else wakes up. Right. It just it kind of just it, it hardens you. Like it, yeah. it hardens you right right and then you're like, at, no. right and then you get to work and you're on right and you no. kind of take that competitive mindset and like that drive and people just feed on the energy i really think it's an energy transfer in many ways so Have you my, read a lot about that kind of my stuff? energy my energy was being transferred to like you know the people that i that i was working around and it was like a magnet mm -hmm. everyone wanted to to be around me and be around the company and they wanted to join what I was building. That uh, culture is like, so going back to, to all the college coaches and the high school coaches I've ever interviewed, culture is the number one thing that they keep talking about. And that's why programs are successful. It's not about the talent. Like you weren't fast, bro. You were not, I was not, I was not fast. I, you know, we're like six twenties, right. We're like low six twenties at the time um, training. Chad Youngblood was like one of the stronger guys in like the 16s, yeah. but we were going up against guys that were way faster and we were beating them. And it was like a culture yeah. thing, right? Yeah. It was like the environment. Yeah. Um, my, 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 I don't have to go off on a limb here, but I think you took that same and you built your program, your company with that same mindset of like culture first. I, I treated, yeah. I mean, I treated the um, company very much like I, I took the program that was at the prep Right. And, and, you know, the culture that we had at PVC and I just kind of mixed it in to my company and um, yeah, it was very explosive. I mean, one of the things that we did, so we weren't always called open water, right. We were called award CMS, right. That was the name of our company or nonprofit CMS was another one of the brands. So we're attracting all these people, you know, they're good people, but they were like, Oh, well, we want to help, you know, we love nonprofits and we really want to, help people. And that's fine. Right. We, you need that. But, you know, we went through this whole name change thing and my business partner is not a rower. Um, initially, you know, we hired this market agency to help us find a name and it was all over the map. Really? All of a sudden I'm walking back from rowing to the office, you know, walking down M street and, uh, you know, brainstorming names. And I was like, thinking of it like rowing terms, I'm like, should we be called rigor? Right. You know, <laughs> And, you know, I was like, hmm, what about open water? I'm like, that's got a nice ring to it. Oh, yeah. And so I, I go to my business partner. I was like, hey, how about the name open water? Here's what it means in rowing. I was like, it's a measurement of victory. It means victory. And and he initially, he was like, yeah, I like it. 
I was like, great, let's do it. Right. And and then like later in the day, he's like, you know, I thought about it. I don't like it. I'm like, oh, geez. Right. You know, got to get consensus here. And we did this whole thing. I forget what he wanted. He's, you know, it's a scientific guy. He wanted like Kelvin 373. I don't like the boiling point of water and Kelvin. And uh, finally, we had to put surveys out to all of our clients and friends because like he wanted a mathematical, you know, some sort of resonating. Right. And the, the survey results came back like 98% in favor of open water, right? <laughs> a couple of people afraid of like dying of shark bites or something like that. But <laughs> right. And then from there, we're off to the races because after we changed to open water, our company culture became excellence, right? And and winning and creating a championship culture and, you know, stri- you know not settling for just passing, but like really excelling. And we start recruiting just top notch people, right? I mean, now we're getting while we were scraping to find anyone to hire before that. Once we changed to open water, we're getting applicants from Dartmouth, Harvard, Princeton, all rowers who want to still keep that connection and be around like-minded people now want to join this fast-growing software company. There is a there, there's a phrase in here that you just said, and it's like so true in life. It's not just about passing, it's about excelling through. Yeah. And I remember times together rowing in a boat that you, you took a seat open and like you just get more and like not worry about the competition just blow through them just go that is a yeah. wild what a wild um lesson you learn there just like one one phrase one word can change the direction of your entire company and, and you can you can you can do the same thing with with a rowing program right just that one thing that you guys locked into um what so I want to know numbers. Like you don't need to tell me your revenue numbers, but like in terms of percentage growth, like how how explosive of a growth was it? And from from number of employees, uh, you know, revenue figures, like yeah, how big? I mean, yeah, I mean, first off, we were bootstrapped, so we had no funding, so we're doing this all out of you know just revenue coming from customers. But yeah, from 2012 when we launched, you know, I think we added 12 customers our first year, so got some right. Then we added 50 the next, right? Then we added 100 the following. Right. Yeah. And, you know, we weren't charging probably enough back then as we should have, but um, yeah, I mean, we kept growing steadily. So, you know, we were growing by hundred percent a year, over hundred percent a year for, for a little bit. Um, And then, you know, one things I've learned in business is like your growth rate, a lot of times is kind of, if you're a well-functioning company that has a product market fit, your growth rate in many ways is limited by the size of your market. And there's really only 10,000 associations or nonprofits. There could be more, but there's, we identified a really strong fit of 10,000 customers that could buy our software. So, you know, we're rapidly growing and then, you know, but, you know, your growth rate slows as your market is, is, is relatively small. So, I mean, we still were fast. I mean, we made the Inc. 5000 list the fastest growing privately held companies for five years in a row, you know, we ended, um, yeah, pre-COVID because COVID changed things. But pre-COVID, we were around like, I don't know, five and a half million of recurring revenue, which is pretty good for, you know, it's pretty good for a software company, um, you know, a small software company. Um, and then COVID happened and we pivoted to virtual conference software and we doubled within nine months. We went from oh. having 45 employees to 110 within within like a nine month period. Holy dude. 
Dude. We, we literally were just picking people off the streets and just saying, uh, we need help implementing the software. <laughs> like how, how did you maintain a level head? And like, how did you, how did your leadership adjust in that period? That is an tough. unbelievable growth. Well, it's fun when you're signing the logos, like this, like July of 2020 or something like that, or 21, I forget which year, um, we signed like 40 new logos, like paying us, you know, 15 to 20,000 a year. And, and so it was insane. However, what we didn't account for was we had to implement and service those. So like, yeah, we can sling deals all day long, right? We've got good sales reps. Um, delivering them was a different story. So that was definitely challenging. And then after the COVID wound down and all the vaccines were out and all that, that business kind of collapsed. So we still have a couple customers doing it, but you know, our core business has continued to grow. So we're almost at 10 million now. I mean, we shot up to like 15, shrunk back down to like eight, and now we're just continuing the steady growth to like 10. That's a, I mean, that's a, that's a big number, dude. That's a big number. Um, I, I'm just, I, how, how has fitness played a role in, in all of that time too, in the growth for you? Like, you know, you, you and I saw each other a year ago, actually, like to a week uh, to this day. Really? A year ago this day. That's how long, that's when the party was. Oh, wow. Um, you, you weren't rowing, but you were, you were fit. Um, how much of that has. Yeah. You know, like one of the other groups I was in like five years, it was called Vistage and it's this like CEO. Uh, it's almost like an outsourced, uh, board of, board of advisors, like an outsourced board, but it's like your peers. Right. So they also own businesses and you meet once a month, you discuss your business and there's a group leader and all that. And they bring in a lot of speakers, executive time management and all that stuff. And, you know, the one guy was like, hey, um, raise your hand if you work out like consistently, right? And a lot of people are out of shape in that group. Now, I raised my hand, right? Kind of begrudgingly. But that was towards, the, I think my kid was just born. My first child was just born. I stopped rowing. Um, you know, I'm trying to get workouts in on my own. But, you know, anyone who's busy with a busy schedule, like if it's not regimented. It's not like, you know chance of skipping can get high. So he was like, listen, here's what, here's what the top executives do. They have it blocked off on their calendar. It's non-negotiable and you must hire a, a trainer. And wow. that's how the executives stay fit. Right. So, so that's what I did. And that's, that's when I made the commitment to powerlifting. Wow. And so I, I did that three days a week religiously. And, you know, at the time it was tough, right? Because I just had a child. My wife's working as well, right? You know, our schedules are chaotic. But I was like, hey, these, I, I helped. It wasn't just one way. I was like, you need to also, I'll give you time to work out as well, but you have to block it off and you have to tell me when. But here are the, from 8.30 to 9.30 in the morning, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'm gone. And nothing comes in, in the way of that. And it's got to be blocked off. And uh, yeah, it worked. And you still do it today, right? You still you still yeah. maintain mm -hmm. them. Yeah, no, I have a strength and conditioning coach down here in Sarasota, and um, yeah, just continuing on. And then you know I'll get stuff on my own, right? Um, you know, in addition to that, but yeah, it's. Would done. you trade that? Would you trade that for a Potompo Club any day of the week? Well, I would like both. Right. Oh, sorry. You need to have the trainer and the rowing, right? Then you why the trainer? Let's talk. To, let's talk about that because I'm so against that, and uh, I'm actually against that. Like, uh, not to put down personal trainers, but why do you think you need that, or why do you feel you need it? 
Well, well, it goes back to that executive, you know, coach who, you know, if you having some having some sort of accountability is is really important for a lot of people. Now, a lot of people like you can just go to the gym and 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 bang yourself into a wall by yourself, right? Um, the vast majority of the public are not like that, right? Including me, right? I need some level of accountability and someone who's an expert to guide me through a program that's intelligent, as opposed to me going to the gym and doing a little bit of this, a little bit of that, or maybe let me get on the earth for a little bit, right? Like a disciplined, thought out, well-structured program that's monitored by someone who knows what they're doing, right? And it's not just a, coach. This is right. a, a strength and conditioning coach. I hear you. Now, okay, so I want to talk about, um, I'm jumping jumping around a little bit, but I, I want to roll in rowing a little bit more here. You you, you hired rowers. I remember uh, like David Noyes. Let's use him as a great example. That guy's a killer, man. He's a coach. He's a coach down here in DC. At the time he was, I don't know if he still works for you or not, but he was he was crushing it back, like I say, five or six years ago. Yeah. Um, what makes a rower a great employee? Like, why do you want rowers? Yeah, I mean, the first rower we hired was this guy, Jim Newcomb. I put out an ad on row2k.com, the classifieds. Being like, you, you use row 2K. I remember yeah. this. Yeah, I, I did a bunch, and then finally the owner like dinged me, like he kept deleting my posts, and they sent me this long, like nasty email. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like here's here's what I offered. I I it was a good offer. It's like you get all these competitive minded people who are looking for their next thing, looking for yeah. transition, possibly out of coaching into something else. And um, I was like, hey, listen, I'm going to give you professional sales training and you're going to have the opportunity to get on the rotation and start selling in six months. I'm like, you're going to have to start by lead genning and, you know, finding leads. Um, but I'm going to give you professional training and I'll teach you personally. Wow. And you're going to be able to make a lot of money. So, you know, these like David Noyes, now he's told the story to many people, so I don't, I don't mind sharing it. But like at the time he was living in Nicaragua, he just lost or wasn't working i think he came down for some opportunity it didn't it didn't work out he literally has like a hundred dollars to his name right and i'm like uh yeah uh you want a job he's like i will literally do whatever you say like i will run through a wall just tell me what to do and he came in here guns a blazing like he was our top rep with no sales experience his mom said he left she's like david I don't, i've never even heard you be on the phone before like you just text right and within and with nine months he was our number one rep right and jim newcomb same same story and and he's i mean jim newcomb has turned into literally a world-class sales rep he's he's exceeded my skill set i mean he's he's just an unbelievable trajectory is he still with your company Still with me, he, dude. He closed like 1.5 million dollars of business for us last year, which ah. for a software company our size is very good. <laughs> I love that you're very transparent with numbers. That I, I think that is so important in business. I'm very like that here with the guys and the men and women that work for us at at Finish Line, and I love that. Like I love getting them behind the the growth and getting behind. Um, well, it's transparency, and I learned that with a lot of my interviews. I think that if you hide details that I think are important to the business because you have an ego, I think it gets in your way. I think it's really important to be upfront and open with people. Um, 
is so is so because I, I don't know is david still working for you or is he is he no not that? anymore no not anymore yeah he's uh, he's at another company exactly where you know here's the thing like that virtual conference era where we exploded and shrunk like yeah. it, it was a weird time because it was so easy to close business mm. Right. But when, and, and we put him in charge of that business unit. So he's, he has a team under him. He's just ripping off deals. Right. And, and then when it collapsed, like, I don't know, it was a tough adjustment for everyone on that team. And when I realized I'm like, Hey, you're no longer going to be the manager anymore. Like you're going to have to be a rep again. Like you tell, he's like, "Mm, no, it was time for him to to part ways. So I think it was for the best, but you know, David's, David's killer. He is a killer. And I'm happy to hear about Jim. Um, that's, that's awesome. Are there any other rowers that have maintained business with you in the, in the company? Um, no, that's it. Like we kind of stopped hiring a lot of new people. Like we've just like, we'll hire slowly, but like really we like, all right, when we sold our company two years ago, um, I still work for the company and they gave me an earn out and all that kind of stuff. But when they, when they gave us the earn out, it was based on profit. Now they also gamified it so that we had to grow a certain amount, but they really, really incentivized us to be lean. And like we had to um really kind of downsize a bit. Now we're still doing well, but um basically the people that were there in their spots, like you know, that were good stayed, right? And you know, <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of a lean team at this point. How do you, uh, how, how was that moment for you when you sold the company? I remember talking to you back then and and I remember, I remember some of the details and and you know, how much it was going to be and what you were trying to accomplish. Um, but I, I think back to your freshman year of high school and you're putting those 20 minute on the ergs and you're, you were, you were not very good and you just, you didn't want to quit. Um, so now you sold, how do you maintain that level of energy? It's Talk to me, walk me through oh, that process man. of selling, yeah. right? Cause like, that's yeah. like winning Olympic gold medal, right? That's like, oh, I did it. It's did very it. challenging. Um, I've read about stories of founders who sold their companies that would go really through rough periods. And I went through one as well. I would say, yeah, for that year after selling the company. So that would have been all of, like 2022 was probably one of the roughest years because like I'm no longer in charge now. And so I'm seeing the parent company, the bought us, make all these decisions that I don't agree with. And I can't do anything about it. Now, before I would just have the loudest voice or have an argument that made sense and people would go along with it. Um, but it was like logic was thrown out the window in my mind. So I was like, this is just insane, right? So that was tough. Finally, I had to realize, and this is an important life lesson, you can only focus on things you can control. So there's certain things that I can't change. So I just have to accept that and only focus on what I can actually move the needle on. That's tough, dude. Very tough. Yeah, especially if you've been, if you've been running your own company for 15 years and you're suddenly <laughs> seeing this like weird stuff going on and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Rowers, I, I, me personally, I don't, um, I'm always looking for the next thing. And you know that about me for as long as you've known me. It's never good enough. Um, I want more. And I never celebrate, except a year ago, this weekend, I celebrated for the, for the growth of my company. How did you celebrate that victory? that crossing that finish line in first place. Like, how'd you celebrate that win? Um, yeah, I took a trip. Took a, uh, I took a, a nice trip. Uh, I bought myself, like, I've always had, like, a, you know, pretty shitty car. So I bought myself a nice car. Um, 
you know, and uh, yeah, I just, you know, I think you should reward yourself for something when it happens, something monetary, like a, like something to actually buy, take a little trip to, to unwind, but that was it. Right. And then, you know, it was obviously still a hard year because I was then realizing all the things I, you know, that could change. Um, but, you know, listen, you got to set a next goal, right? So the, like we just finished our earnout. We'll find out actually like in the next couple of days, like if we hit a hundred percent, but we should, even if we don't hit hundred percent, it'll be like 98%, which is pretty oh, wow. yep. So uh, yeah, now it's kind of like on, have to figure out what's next. I mean, they'll probably give me an offer to stay. I could do that. Uh, that that's uh, what I was going to ask you. I was, I was going to, I was going to end with this. You know, it's um, you said it yourself. Like we, people like us, like we need that goal. We need that, that carrot, that thing to keep going. Um, I have mine. I'm, I'm not where you are right now. You're very young. I mean, Jesus, you're, you're young. You, you, you've achieved so much in, in your career. What do you think is going to happen next? What do you want to happen? I don't know. This, this, this is, I kind of like the unknown because I like kind of just wandering around into like what appears to be darkness and just one step at a time. Um, I think what I've talked to a bunch of people who have been in my position that have sold their companies and yeah, you can try to start another company. The, the failure rate of second companies is actually pretty high. Yeah. Cause you know, you think you know it all right. And then you go into a new market, but here's the bigger problem is now you have cash and you kind of throw money at the problems yeah. and then your cash just disappears. So I've been really reluctant to like start something new. Um, you know, I, I have a couple of side hustles I'm doing like, stuff storage and, and things like that, more real estate things. But um, yeah, I, I think I'd rather join um, a company that already has a little traction and then and then help really kind of like scale them up. That would okay, be- Like a mentorship, yeah. Well, no, not a mentorship. Um, like either being brought on as CEO or- Oh, leader, yeah, leader. Or, or VP of sales or, or something like that. Some, but a company that's already got revenue. Right. And and then I can help kind of explode them. So, you know, last thing, and it's, it's kind of a silly question, but it's like, how much do you miss rowing now, dude? I'm sitting here. I just like, I'm looking at you. I want to jump in a goddamn boat. I want to go race. I I offered to race with you in a month, which you said yes. So you have yeah. to do it. I guess I, I mean, do you think about rowing all the time? I think about it all the time. Yeah. I think about it, you know, a bunch, you know, actually this morning, because, you know, there's pretty good rowing, like Sarasota Cruz down here. They're fast. They are, yeah. I coached for one day. What? Yeah, I coached for a day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I, I quickly realized that coaching's not for me. At least not yet. <laughs> because I'm looking at this dude in two seat. I'm like, you suck. I'm like, you are terrible. I'm like, just put me in there. I'm <laughs> you know, you were you were you were always pretty good, man. You were, you you could set a rhythm. You were always stroke. Every time you were in the stroke seat, man, that boat would that boat would take off. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, really, no, I, I listen, my long-term goal is to get back into rowing. Like if I can, I still have a lot of stock in my parent company. So that's why I'm, I'll probably wind up staying on here to see it through the end of when they eventually sell. Sure. Um, but ultimately the goal, like if I'm totally financially free and I don't have to work for a living anymore, um, <clears throat> then I don't think there's anything better than just being a semi-professional, like master's rower. I talk about him all the time, Nick Holland. So I saw him a year ago down in Sarasota. And I said, how's retirement? And he's like, I'm not retired. I'm a professional rower. 
Yeah. And his wife has allowed him because it, it is his wife. His wife has allowed him to. He travels the world, dude, and he races all the time. Yeah, and like 68 years old. That's what I want to do. That's what I'm going to do. Right. So I'll, I'll still have my, my strength conditioning coach. Right. You know, I'll probably have to move to the DC area or somewhere with good rowing Philly. Right. So I can join a team, um, you know, clock some meters and then just, you know, kind of row around the world. I, I, I don't oh. think it gets better than that. I really don't. How beautiful of a sport we have that even to this day, this morning, you're thinking about the stroke, you're thinking about the row, like the row you created a company you, you create a company culture around the sport. It's called open water. It's a measure of success. Uh, the life lessons you've learned from our sport are incredible. You build a great business. You got a great family. Tim, I'm so proud of you. I think it's awesome. And I and, and look, thank you for being here today for this interview. I, I loved like reminiscing about the story. Uh, I'm sure we could talk probably for another hour, but um, Alex, listen, it's been a pleasure. Um, yeah, when you're in Sarasota, hit me up. If you're serious, I'll have to get back on the air for at least. I'm you dead know, serious. At least, I'm at least, all right. I'll dead some serious. I, we talked about it at my party last year. There's a chance you're going to get about, we're going to do a straight four. It'll be branded finish line, open water, and we hope to win by open water. I, mean, I okay. hope that happens. All right. You will as, long as, it, as, long, as long as it's a thousand meters, count me in. Now, if, if someone wants to get to know open water, like how do they get to know open water, the company? Uh, yeah, I mean, our website is openwater.com. We finally were able to find openwater.com as a domain name available. Someone was holding a hostage. Um, uh, my LinkedIn is just Tim Spell. You know, you search for Timothy Spell on LinkedIn. Yeah, and that's it. I kind of keep a low profile on social, so LinkedIn. Well, we're going to, well, I'll see you in a month, dude. Thanks for being here. And uh, we'll be doing this more. We have uh, a handful of episodes coming up the next couple of weeks. Um, and uh, if you are an entrepreneur and you are a business owner and you are a rower, contact us. We want to talk about your story. Thanks for tuning in. See you. Thanks, guys.